Well, let's face it, um, relatively speaking, here at Chatswood Presbyterian Church, our services, they're pretty unspectacular. Uh, Don't get me wrong, I like them. I like them a lot. I I just don't think they're particularly spectacular. I mean, if you think about it, the most spectacular part of our services are Barry's announcements every Sunday morning. (laughs) It's funny because it's true. Our services aren't on the whole, and relatively speaking to some certain other churches, they're not all that spectacular. As I thought about it, I, I can't remember in my time here our church ever spontaneously bursting out and speaking in tongues. I, I can't remember vast numbers of people being miraculously healed. I don't remember ever seeing, as apparently has happened in some churches, um, people barking like dogs while the Bible's being read. I don't remember any of these things. I don't remember ever hearing about um, people falling backwards on the floor when the pastor touches them on the forehead. Though I think that would be a very cool way of getting to morning tea before everybody else. (laughs) On the whole, we're a pretty unspectacular uh, bunch. This is all very much a a very uh, unspectacular affair. Now, some would suggest that what we have here is a lack of the powerful working of the Holy Spirit among us. We're unspectacular because there is no mighty working of the Holy Spirit among us. And so, right now, right here, I would like to make a very bold promise to you, an extraordinarily bold promise to you, that by the end of this very sermon, there will be a mighty working of God's Holy Spirit among us. Okay. Very bold promise. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Alrighty, would you please open up your Bibles with me, uh, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, 7, page 818 of the small print, 1797 of the large print Bibles. Now remember that, in part, Paul's reason for writing this letter to the church there in Corinth is to warn them about certain teachers that are there. It's a bit difficult for us to piece it all together. It's a bit difficult for us to piece together exactly what it is that these guys have been peddling. But it seems that there's been something of a back-to-Moses campaign going on here. That these people, they were attempting to win the church back over to the law of Moses, back over to the Ten Commandments, to uh, the Old Covenant. It was Paul who first brought the New Covenant to the church in Corinth. The Gospel of Grace, the good news that Jesus had fulfilled the law, that he had brought forgiveness to all those who could not keep the law. Now it seems that the church in Corinth is in danger of giving up the New Covenant to go back to the old. That's Paul's concern, and that's why in this morning's passage, Paul takes time to compare both the new and the old covenants, to show how much greater the new is over the old. In particular, Paul this morning will compare the glory of the two covenants. He will compare the glory of the old covenant with the glory of the new. So you see, glory is going to be central to what we're thinking about this morning. 
So I guess before we go any further, we better understand what glory is. What is glory? Well, I like to think of glory as the revelation of greatness. The revelation of greatness or the wow factor. You see, when Kathy Freeman won the 400 metres at the Sydney Olympics and then she stood on the dais to receive her gold medal, that was her moment of glory. The moment when her greatness as a 400 metre runner was revealed. We all looked on and we all went, wow. See, it's her glory. Glory is the revelation of greatness. The Sistine Chapel there in the Vatican is sometimes described as Michelangelo's crowning glory. You look at it and you go, wow. You realise what a splendid artist this man really was. It's his greatness revealed. Well, in our passage, Paul says that both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant come with glory. They come with God's glory. You look at the Sistine Chapel, you see Michelangelo's greatness revealed. You look at the covenants and you see God's greatness revealed. Remember in our first Bible reading from the book of Exodus, Moses was up on Mount Sinai where he saw God and God gave him the Ten Commandments. Moses comes back down Mount Sinai, his face glowing. See, it seems that it's now like he reflects the glory of God to the people as he brings the Old Covenant to them. In fact, in the very giving of the Old Covenant, the wow factor was so great, the revelation of God's character so great, that the the people were unable to even look upon the radiance there on Moses' face. The Old Covenant revealed the greatness of God's character. It came with glory. But the new covenant, Paul tells us, comes with glory too. And Paul's point in this morning's passage is that the glory of this new covenant is far, far, far greater than that of the old. Why is that? Well, according to Paul, it's because the old covenant brought only death. Uh, But the new covenant, it comes with life's Uh, God's life-giving spirit and it brings righteousness. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3 7. Now if the ministry that brought death, the old covenant, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Yes, the the old covenant was glorious, but the new covenant, it's even more glorious. The old covenant, it was good. Yes, it was good, but it only ever resulted in death and condemnation for people. Not because it was bad in and of itself. No, it was good. But because people could not keep the old covenant. People could not obey the law. And so it resulted in death and condemnation. The new covenant, however, 
Well, it results in life through God's Spirit. And it brings righteousness, the forgiveness of sins. See, only in the New Covenant do we see the full extent of God's glory. Because only in the New Covenant do we see God's great work in salvation fully revealed. Only in the New Covenant do we see the full extent of God's mercy, uh, God's love, God's power. As there we see God sending his own dear beloved and innocent son to die upon a cross, cursed, to there take upon himself the sins of the whole world, to there die, to then come back to life again, and to then pour out his Holy Spirit into the hearts of all those who call upon him in repentance and faith. Only in the new covenant do we see the full extent of God's greatness revealed. And so the glory of the new covenant is far, far greater than the old. In fact, the glory of the new covenant is so great that it actually takes away the glory of the old covenant. Look with me at verse 10. Verse 10, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. You see, a candle can bring light to a darkened room, can't it? It brings light to a darkened room. But when the whole house is on fire, when the whole house is, you know, ablaze, well, the function of the candle, it's obsolete, isn't it? It's burnt up. It's there no longer. You see, the new covenant so outglorifies the old covenant that it in fact deglorifies the old covenant. Did you get that? The new covenant so outglorifies the old covenant that it deglorifies the old covenant. And that was always God's plan. The, the old covenant was only ever meant to be temporary. Paul said that the glory of the old covenant was fading away. But the glory of the new covenant, he says, that's the one that lasts. That's the permanent one. Look with me at verse 11. Verse 11. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? See, I reckon that the old covenant is a little bit like what the early days of Michelangelo's work in the Sistine Chapel must have been like. You know, when he first... When he very, the first time he, he climbed up the scaffolding there in his King G's and he pulled out his pencil and he started to pencil the outline of the work that he wanted to do there in the Sistine Chapel. See, I reckon that even at that point, people would have marvelled at Michelangelo's greatness. Even at that point, there would have been the wow factor. But it was never Michelangelo's aim to just leave a pencilled outline. The pencil outline, it pointed forward to a finished work. A work with, with colour and, and shading and, and, and intricate detail. It's the finished work that shows the artist's true genius. The Old Covenant, it's nothing more than a pencilled outline of the New Covenant, pointing forward to the finished masterpiece of the Gospel of Christ, fading into the background when that Gospel finally came. See, the gospel finishes God's great work of salvation. It is his masterpiece. It is his crowning glory. Never again to be added to, but eternally complete. 
Now it's this, it's this permanency of the new covenant that sets the ministries of Moses and the ministry of Paul apart. See, Paul can go about sharing the gospel with great confidence in the knowledge that all has been done by God to secure our salvation. But that's a confidence that Moses never had. We've already seen that Moses put this veil over his face so that the Israelites couldn't see the glory that was there because they were frightened by it. But there was actually another reason that Moses put this veil on his face. This is something that I've never seen before and something that I find really, really interesting. There seems to have been another reason he put the veil on his face. And that reason is because this radiance on his face faded with time. When Moses was in the presence of God there on Mount Sinai, or when he went into the tent of meeting with God, his face, it seems, was really radiant. But then he would come down the mountain or he would come out of the tent and it seems that his face would, would begin to fade. You see, there's something impermanent about that situation. There's something insufficient and incomplete. There was still something hopeless about what Moses had to offer the Israelites. So rather than being bold, Moses kept his face covered from the people to cover the fact that this glory was fading away. Read with me from verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. You see, if we could get Moses to come here this morning, I don't know if we were to get into some sort of magical phone booth and be able to travel back in time and pick him up and bring him back here this morning and have him stand down here and if we were to say, hey, Moses, now that you're here, which covenant do you reckon is better, new covenant or old covenant? What do you reckon he would say? Well, actually, he probably wouldn't understand us because he doesn't speak English. So then we would go and we'd get a Hebrew translator, we'd bring the Hebrew translator here, and then we'd say again, hey, Moses, which, which covenant do you prefer? New? Oh, we would say new. New. New, of course. Because only the new is sufficient and complete. Only the new offers real and lasting hope. Unfortunately, for many of the Jews uh, of Paul's day, and I guess we could say, unfortunately, for many of the Jews today, that veil that Moses used to hide the temporary nature of the Old Covenant, well, it still remains. Not that it's now over the face of Moses, but, but over their hearts, over the hearts of Jewish people who are still unable to recognise the temporary nature of the Old Covenant. There's a veil over their hearts, a veil that can only be taken away when Jesus himself reaches down and pulls it away. Read with me from verse 14. 14. But their minds, that is, the minds of Jewish people, but their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
You see, what happened yesterday in the synagogues all around Sydney? What happened? Well, the law of Moses was read. But because of this veil that still exists on the heart of many Jews, that law of Moses was still upheld as though it was still in force, as though it's still applied, as though its glory has not been surpassed in the coming of Jesus Christ. It's only when Christ himself reaches down through the Holy Spirit and pulls this veil away, it's only when these Jews become Christians that that they're able to see the new covenant as the fulfilment of the old. I think... um, It's a bit like that even for us who aren't Jews, isn't it? A bit like the veil being taken away. I I was uh, listening to a bloke the other day. He was telling me of his experience of his brother giving him a Bible. Now, this was at a time uh, before he was a Christian. His brother gave him a Bible uh, for Christmas. And so he decided to read the Bible. And as you do any book, you begin at the beginning. It began Genesis chapter 1. Well, by the new year, this uh, gentleman had given up. It was so confusing, it just didn't make sense. What was it all about? It was boring. Well, his brother asked him how he was going with his new Bible. And this uh, bloke told him of his experience. And his brother wisely suggested that perhaps he could read the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Well, this man did. And for him, it was the most thrilling thing he had ever read. Some months later, he became a Christian. And for him now, as he goes back and reads the Old Testament, for him now, it's this wonderful uh, explanation of what it was that Christ had come to do. For him, it's no longer this sense of being boring. For him, he's now been able to see how the whole Bible has be- uh, fits together. How there... It it contains God's most wonderful plan. I wonder if the experience was similar for you. Because I think that it's not just for the Jews, but for all of us. When we become Christians, there's this removal of the veil. A removal of the veil so that we might now behold God's wonderful plan there in the Bible and understand it in a way that we never could before. And so now all of us, every single one of us who are Christians, all have unveiled faces. Now we can all look upon the full revelation of God's glory. In verse 18 of the NIV Bibles there, it says, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. That's okay, but I think maybe a better translation there would be, And now we who with unveiled faces all behold the Lord's glory. That is, all of us who are now Christians are able to look upon the glory of the Lord. Now don't miss the significance of this. In Moses' day, only one person, one man, Moses, was able to go up Mount Sinai and behold the glory of God. But now all of us who are Christians can stand and behold this glory of God. In fact, we behold a glory far greater than the glory that Moses ever saw. How do we look 
uh, upon the glory of the Lord? How do we behold it? Where do we look? Which mountain do we climb? Well, none. For all we need do is open up our Bibles. Because you see, it's in the Bible that we behold the revelation of the living God. It's in the Bible that we encounter the Lord who speaks to us and reveals to us his mighty character through the old and new covenants. As there he reveals to us his great plan of salvation through the man Jesus Christ. Here in the passages of scripture, we gaze upon the glory of the Lord. This is our Mount Sinai experience. But here the glory that we look upon well, it, it outglorifies any glory that happened there on Mount Sinai for Moses. And you know what else? As we do, as we do look upon the glory of the Lord, we are never the same again. By the work of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed, wait for this, we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Look with me again at verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, see, friends, see the Christians that are sitting around you. See the Christians sitting around you. You know what they are? They're transformers. <laughs> More than meets the eye. They are transforming into the likeness of the Lord. You see, when we spend time beholding the glory of the Lord, we take on and we reflect his glory. Not that our faces start shining like Moses did. Rather, we begin to look like Jesus. We begin to take on his moral character. We begin to love like Jesus. We begin to forgive like Jesus. We begin to serve like him. We become generous and compassionate and merciful like him. People start seeing the greatness of God revealed in us as we reflect God's glory. Wow! Paul says that we're transformed into the Lord's likeness with ever-increasing glory. You know how Moses' face started to fade with time? We reflect God's glory more and more and more and more. Of course, culminating in that great day of glorification. When we shall stand before our Lord face to face and once for all be transformed to be just like him. Just like his moral character is. Isn't that a stunning thought? In the meantime, we, we keep sinning, don't we? Yes. We keep stumbling, don't we? Yes. But if you're a Christian, then your transformation, it's already underway. All we're called to do is to keep beholding the glory of the Lord. That's it. The Spirit will do the rest. In the meantime, keep beholding. Because you see, only through beholding the Lord are we transformed into his likeness. You want to be more like Jesus? 
do you? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Then you've got to be spending time in your Bible. There's nothing else to it. Here's the thing. If you spend more time beholding one of your favourite soapies than reading the Bible, then don't be surprised if you end up looking more like Harold Bishop than you do Jesus Christ. If you stay at home from church on a Sunday morning because you're too sleepy to get out of bed, then don't be surprised if you end up looking more like one of the seven dwarves than you do Jesus Christ. That would be sleepy, the seven dwarves. If you stop your child from coming to youth group so that they can stay at home to finish off their science project, then don't be surprised if they end up looking more like Albert Einstein than they do Jesus Christ. If you can't make it to, to Bible study during the week because it's too, there's too much business to get through at the office, then don't be surprised if you end up looking more like Donald Trump than you do Jesus Christ. Now, over the last few weeks, I've, I've noticed a few comb-overs. You need to get back to Bible study. If you've stopped going to Bible study, you need to get back. Paul's great encouragement to the Corinthian church in these verses was for them not to give up beholding God's glory as revealed in the new covenant. The gospel of Christ is more glorious than any other alternative. And only the new covenant, the gospel of Christ, transforms us into the likeness of Christ. So behold, friends, behold and keep beholding. This morning I made a rather bold promise to you. I promised that before the end of this sermon there would be a mighty working of the Holy Spirit among us. I haven't heard the whole church spontaneously speaking in tongues. I haven't seen crutches thrown into the centre aisle through miraculous healings. I haven't heard people barking like dogs. I haven't seen people falling backwards at the touch of the pastor. Yet I know that this very hour there has been a powerful working of the Holy Spirit among us. Powerfully at work in you. How? By making you just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Because this morning we have beheld the, the great glory of God with unveiled faces. The promise of this passage that we have looked at is that when we do that, when we do behold, then we will be transformed by God's Holy Spirit. This very hour, you have become a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Don't you find that a thrilling thought? Doesn't that knock your socks off? You don't feel any different? It's all right, neither do I. Transformation's slow, isn't it? It's got a long way to go, hasn't it? But this morning, we are just a little bit more like Jesus, and I find that so exciting. Almost makes you want to go home and open up your Bibles again to read some more, doesn't it? To behold some more, to become a little bit more like Jesus. It'd be a great way to answer somebody tomorrow at work who asked you what you got up to on the weekend. I mowed the lawn, I did the washing, I beheld the glory of the Lord and was transformed into his likeness. Hey, I wonder how you've become a little bit more like Jesus this morning. 
I wonder if it's in the way that you love or the way that you forgive or the way that you serve or the way that you show compassion. I wonder how it is that you've become a little bit more like him this morning. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to finding out. For this morning, we have opened the scriptures, we've beheld the glory of the Lord. And as a consequence, I trust God's word. I trust that there has been a mighty working of the Holy Spirit among us, making us just that little bit more like Jesus. Let's turn to God now and give him the thanks and praise that he deserves. Our Father and our God, we praise you for your great and your wonderful character. We thank you that you did show us your marvellous character in the giving of the old and especially the new covenants. We thank you that in the new covenant we have received life and righteousness through your spirit. We thank you that Jesus has taken away that veil which once blinded us to your glory. Father God, help us to now keep beholding as we read your word daily. And keep transforming us by your Holy Spirit to be more and more like Jesus. For it's in his glorious name that we pray. Amen.